Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to The Dive, the podcast that asks, who said business news needs to be all business? Here's a big number for you. 15 to 20 trillion dollars. That's the amount of money Ken Hoffman, the head of the battery minerals team at McKinsey, estimates that decarbonizing the modern world will make the mining industry. If we play a little bit of word association, when I say mining, most of us think dirty, pollution or unsustainable. But that is going to change. Put simply, the mining industry is going to become the world's most important industry to achieve net zero. Now that statement might surprise you, might fill you with rage, but bear with us as we unpack it. It's Monday, the 24th of July, and today I want to know just how big is mining's decarbonisation opportunity? To talk about this today, I'm joined by the co-founder and my colleague here at Equity Mates. It's Alec Renahan. Alec, welcome to The Dive. Sasha, good to be here. I know that this has been an article, or this is all stemmed from an article that you've been sharing wide and far for the last week. (laughs) It has, yeah. It's the best summation of the absolute scale of this challenge, but also the opportunity that uh, I guess miners around the world have. So to be clear, how much money changed hands? How much has big mining paid us to produce this episode today? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Big mining haven't paid us anything, but based on the amount of money they're going to make in the coming decades, they certainly could... uh, Pony up a few dollars for some dive sponsorships here and there. Okay, well, our inbox is open. And if people want to read the article, head over to our Facebook discussion group where I shared it. Excellent. I'll put the link in the show notes. Alec, let's look back before we look forward. The 2010s were pretty tough for mining. Yeah, the 2010s were a really tough decade for the mining industry. There were mass layoffs across the industry. The price of gold, silver and copper all bottomed out in 2014 and 2015. And the story about coal was a really tough decade as the world woke up to climate change and started the transition away from fossil fuels. So mining was in a pretty tough spot and the world kind of grew to hate the mining industry, particularly around their climate denialism. In Australia, I guess my political awakening was as an 18-year-old watching the mining industry pour money into some pretty misogynist attacks on Julia Gillard, the sitting prime minister, all in the aim of stopping the, um, you know, the mining super profits tax and the carbon trading scheme, which then became the carbon tax. Yeah, the mining industry were a bit of a pariah in the world. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. But from climate deniers to climate warriors, they've done a bit of an about face. 
Yes, Asha, there's a saying, there's none so zealous as the recently converted, and that applies to the mining industry now. Because over the past few years, the mining industry has realized there's a lot more money to be made in embracing the world's decarbonization push rather than trying to convince us that it's not needed at all. And that's what we're going to explore today. Why is mining so important for the decarbonization of our world? So the article that you referenced earlier from the magazine The Drift, they sum it up in a sentence. Metal miners stand on the verge of a planet-spanning, multi-decade mineral boom driven by the demands of an electrifying world. That sentence really sums up, I guess, the scale of, of what we're about to in- embark on or what the world has slowly started to embark on. Coal, oil and gas still account for more than 60% of humanity's total electricity generation. And this basically needs to be phased out immediately. Today's existing and planned fossil fuel projects are almost certain to push the globe past two degrees Celsius of warming. Without a drastic shift to alternative sources, the catastrophic effects of climate change will be felt everywhere. So we need to change, we need to change now. But at the same time, overlay on that, global electricity demand is surging, especially as countries uh, emerge in Africa and uh, parts of Asia Global electricity demand is expected to double at a minimum in the coming decades. So we need to transition our sources of power and we need to double the amount of power that we're generating. And to rewire the world, the world needs metal, right? Yes. It needs a lot more metal to generate electricity than it does now. To give you some examples, a coal-fired power plant requires one to one and a half tonnes of copper for every megawatt of electricity it produces. By contrast, a solar array requires 2.8 tonnes. An offshore wind farm requires 8 tonnes. So just, you know, copper is going to be a lot more in demand. Take electric cars. According to the International Energy Agency, an electric vehicle requires six times the amount of mineral resources as a gas-powered car. Just looking at copper, a conventional car requires 22 kilograms of copper, an electric car, 53 kilograms. In a nutshell, Sasha, the global decarbonisation push will require enormous amounts of graphite, lithium, manganese, nickel and cobalt, but above all, it's going to require copper. Without copper, we can't build solar panels, wind turbines, electric cars or the batteries that charge them. So, Alec, you've listed quite a few minerals there and quite a few really impressive numbers, the demand for these metals then is going to shoot up massively. Just how massively? Is that a question is that I can ask? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Like the amount of demand that is coming online is, is pretty incredible. Let's start with copper. S&P Global expect demand for copper to double by 2035. So what, 12 years from now? The fundamental story for copper is a long-term very positive one. Lithium obviously has gone through a boom here in Australia, but even from current levels, the Biden White House has put out estimates that demand could swell by some 4,000% in the coming decades. If we act to save the planet, we can also come out of it better. We can create millions of good paying jobs that generate significant economic growth and opportunity, raise the standard of living for people not only here, but around the world. 
the International Energy Agency put out a estimate in 2021 that if the Paris Agreement targets were to be met, then demand from clean energy technology for these green metals would quadruple by 2040. And then if the world was to reach its more ambitious net zero by 2050 climate targets, then demand for these green metals would increase sixfold over the period. So, yeah, there's a lot of demand coming online. And with demand, supply has to be mentioned. On the other hand, we're not expecting supply to be keeping up. Yeah, it not only has to be mentioned, it's the more important part of the story. The world is demanding a lot of metals and we simply don't have them at the moment. The International Energy Agency has estimated that the world will only have half the lithium and cobalt it needs to hit 2030 climate goals. A report by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, uh, I guess put it in more dire terms, by 2030, lithium, cobalt and graphite demand may outpace production for the US and its allies tenfold, thirtyfold and eightyfold respectively. An S&P Global, I guess put it in the starkest terms in a 2022 report, quote, in the 21st century, copper scarcity may emerge as a key destabilizing threat to international security. Sasha, if the 20th century had wars fought over oil, then the 21st century may have wars fought over copper. It's a shame that podcasting isn't a visual medium because I think my face, while you were saying stark and dire, was just kind of expressing everything I think that anyone needs to feel after hearing those kind of statistics. Because this scarcity is causing companies to go to extreme lengths to secure those supplies. And it's also shifting global economic power in ways that may be as profound as when Saudi Arabia first discovered oil in 1938. Let's unpack that after the break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Lithium is one of the most coveted materials in the world right 60 now. 60 or 65% of the world's lithium comes from quarries, essentially, mostly in Australia. Copper is fluctuating today after reaching a... Demand is skyrocketing as energy companies... Welcome back to The Dive. Today we're unpacking mining's decarbonisation opportunity. Copper, lithium, cobalt, graphite. The world is going to need so much more of these minerals, far more than we're projected to produce meaning companies are going to extreme lengths to secure their supplies. Yeah, that's right. We could look at almost any industry that needs these green metals and talk about their lengths they're going to secure them. But let's focus on car makers because I think electric vehicles are a really visible and well-known commodity, I guess, for want of a better term. So Car makers are freaking out about supplies, particularly lithium supplies. And freaking out, yes, is the technical term here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I thought it's just like that an image of a teenage girl as 
a car maker, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. So Tesla, obviously the most well-known electric vehicle maker, they've inked agreements with Australia's Liontown Resources and also Piedmont Lithium to secure their supplies. They were reportedly also looking at buying Canada's Sigma Lithium and actually just vertically integrating so they had access to lithium. I think Elon's also tweeted about doing something similar in the past, but he tweets a lot. These yeah, let's days. not pay attention to <laughs> Elon's tweets. <laughs> but it's not just, you know, the new electric vehicle makers, Ford is working really hard to secure their lithium supplies. They've signed deals with Chinese battery maker CATL, also with Australian mining giant Rio Tinto to secure lithium supplies. General Motors, one of the bigger car companies in the world, they invested $650 million in Lithium Americas to help them develop what will likely be America's largest lithium mine, again, to secure their access to this mineral. GM wasn't done there, though. They also then invested in a lithium extraction startup. Uh, these car makers, and that, that's just three examples of, you know, you could pull stories from every car maker about what they're doing to secure lithium because it is going to become the most important thing in getting their electric vehicles on the road. <laughs> well, we're on a tight timeline, so let's not pull on that piece of string. <laughs> but this supply-demand mismatch gives those countries with these metals a lot of power in the new global economy. Yeah, now before the break, you said that we could see some geopolitical shifts that rival Saudi Arabia's discovery of oil. And it is really shaping up to be that profound. And what we're seeing is a conflict between Western financial interests and an empowered global South and a empowered emerging economies that are blessed with these minerals and really have the power to shape how this green metals boom plays out. So in the interest of time, I've just pulled out three examples that I think really illustrate the point. Mm -hmm. uh, let's look at lithium, nickel and cobalt. Okay. So starting with lithium, more than half of the world's lithium reserves are concentrated in South America's lithium triangle, which is Chile, Bolivia and Argentina. And what we're seeing in South America is tension between uh, a number of elected left-wing governments who want to nationalise these resources and a lot of, I guess, Western economic interests that want to get as much of the resources as they can. But we're also seeing global powers come to Chile, Bolivia and Argentina to really try and secure their supplies. Recently, the German Chancellor, Olaf Schultz, visited Chile hoping to divert some of its lithium which predominantly now goes to China because he was trying to secure it for his country's automakers. The German car makers are literally recruiting their leader to uh, help them secure lithium supplies. And according to Bloomberg, Schultz pledged to invest in Chilean processing of raw lithium uh, so they wouldn't have to export it. But we are literally seeing major powers come to these South American countries and put a lot of money on the table to try and secure their supplies. So that's one. That's lithium. What about nickel then? So Indonesia is currently the world's largest nickel producer and the International Energy Agency expects Indonesia to meet two-thirds of the world's need for the metal in time. Now, Indonesia is flexing its muscle. They have banned nickel exports. They have basically said, if you want to use our mineral, you have to invest in our country and build 
manufacturing and refining capabilities in our country and the world has come to Indonesia. It's helped them establish a battery industry and now they are trying to organize an OPEC-like consortium for metals processing. So Sasha, again, the parallels with Saudi Arabia and oil can't really be missed in stories like this. And finally, what about cobalt? Cobalt is the most interesting story, I think. I mean, they're all interesting, but I think it really shows the power that some of these emerging economies have. So 70% of the world's cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Wow. And China has been in the country for over a decade trying to, I guess, secure their supplies and extract as much as possible. But recently we've seen the power that the Congolese government has over China. China had agreed to deliver $3 billion in aid for infrastructure improvements and reports were that they had delivered less than a third, so less than a billion dollars. And the Congolese government took the Chinese to task. According to Reuters... Uh, they managed to negotiate an additional $17 billion out of China and a larger stake for the Democratic Republic of the Congo's state-run mining company in the cobalt profits, basically, wow. uh, because China didn't deliver. Yeah, that's a huge leverage. Yeah, you're wondering where that leverage comes from. It's also because the US have come to play ball with the Congo. This past January, the US signed a memorandum of understanding with the DRC and Zambia to create a battery supply chain. So the DRC are in this position where they supply the world with 70% of this crucial metal for all of our electronics and more and more all of our energy systems. And they're playing the US and China off against each other and... Um, yeah, they really hold a lot of power in that relationship. That's really kind of terrifying, Alec, <laughs> that, that that's all happening over just these minerals and these two superpowers are squaring off. So what then is being done to ensure that we're going to have enough of what we need? So the International Energy Agency have estimated that supply from existing mines, those in operation, and mm-hmm. also those under construction will provide, quote, only half of projected lithium and cobalt requirements and 80% of copper needs by 2030. Alec, that doesn't sound like a solution. That just sounds like we're still missing, have a massive gap. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm okay. getting there. The, so the solution is we need more mining. Okay. Um, which, you know, environmentalists might say is counterintuitive, but the simple fact of the matter is these green metals are required to transition away from non-grain metals or from fossil fuels Mm. and um, we're going to need more mines. But Sasha, there is a saying in markets that the cure for high prices is high prices because if prices remain high, more and more projects will be viable, you know, projects that may not have been able to get up if lithium was at $1,000 may get up if lithium was at $4,000. And then as that supply comes online, prices go back down. So Uh the cure for high prices is high prices. And what we should expect to see is that more and more projects come online and we see over time supply catch up with projected demand. So in Australia, we do have some of the world's biggest miners. You mentioned several of them, but like Rio Tinto, BHP. Most of us are invested in them through our superannuation funds. 
How are they responding to this opportunity? So we have to start with just how blessed Australia is. I think it often gets lost about just what a good position we're in. We have obviously had a centuries-long economic boon on the back of coal and then iron ore and natural gas. Don't expect Australia's reliance on mining to go anywhere because we're blessed with green metals. Copper, we have the world's second largest reserves. Cobalt, we have the world's second largest reserves. Nickel, we actually are equal first with Indonesia or a very close run second, depending on who you ask. Lithium, we have the world's second largest reserves. And we haven't spoken about them much today, but we also have the world's biggest reserves for uranium, for iron ore, for gold, for zinc. Australia is blessed with a lot of metal and that metal is going to be very valuable. Mm. So our big miners are sensing the opportunity. BHP have sold off their fossil fuel assets. They sold off their coal and they demerged their oil assets with Woodside and they've pivoted and they've taken that money. They've bought potash, they've bought copper and they've bought nickel. Similarly, Rio Tinto, they got out of fossil fuels completely in 2018 by selling off their coal and since then they've bought into copper mines and lithium mines. So you can see that Australia's big miners are seeing the writing on the wall, sensing the opportunity and much like the global mining industry, they've gone from pushing back against climate claims to uh, fully embracing their role as climate warriors. Yeah, a real 180 there. So, Alec, I know you've been in the weeds on this for a couple of days. What are your concluding thoughts about it? Two thoughts. First of all, the world cannot abandon fossil fuels without a good deal more lithium, copper and many more minerals. Mm -hmm. As counterintuitive as it might sound, as much as people may not like it, it is just a fact of unless new technology comes and we get new battery technology that can store energy without lithium, we're going to need more lithium. You know, similarly, we're going to need more copper to build renewable energy infrastructure. It is just a fact of life. So Mm. whether we like it or not, we're going to have to become okay with it. But I think my big question as I leave this episode is there's going to be a lot of wealth created in the mining industry. The question is, how is it distributed? And I think... Australia needs to look at some of our European counterparts and think about where it goes. And Norway is the classic example. Blessed with oil resources, they taxed it at a higher level. Uh, The government was involved uh, at different times as well. And they have a sovereign wealth fund that is just stupidly big. I, I don't have the numbers, but I think if they sold it all off and split the money equally amongst their citizens the citizens would be getting like tens of thousands of dollars each or something like that. Australia has the opportunity to do something similar. We've tried to put a mining super profits tax on before uh, and it got lobbied away. It's probably something we need to think about now with the green metals boom that we're about to live through. Well, Alec, we started by saying everyone's done a 180 on this. I feel like I've done a 180 in this episode. I've gone from being really dismayed about the future to suddenly seeing a massive opportunity in front of us. So I think this is a really fascinating story and one we're going to watch. 
Yeah, definitely. It will it will be one of the defining stories of our lifetime. Well, you heard it here first on the dive from Alan Grunahan's mouth. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to pitch us a story, if you want to just say hi, how are you doing? All our contact details in the show notes below. Thanks, Alec. Thanks, Sasha. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.